All right, how many of you guys were at Fall Fest with us? Anybody out there at Fall Fest? Wasn't that an amazing time? I don't know how many, I think we served four or 5,000 bottles of water, maybe more than that. Uh, it was just a great time just to bless people. And I heard story after story over the years of people who have been a part of this church, have come to this church, visited this church in one way or the other through something connected with Fall Fest. I heard a story yesterday about somebody who they received a pen at Fall Fest, they stuck it in their purse, and it was in there for months. And then when, one day when uh, they were with their friend, they decided that they weren't, wanted to go to church. They pulled out the pen. They said, let's go here to Journey Church. And they've been in our church for years ever since. Isn't that awesome? I could tell you story after story of people who were connected with the church because of something seemingly insignificant like that. So you wonder, why do we do that? Why do we go to all that effort? Because there are story after story of people who had an invite that they stuck it in their pocket, they sat on their refrigerator, and then months later, when they were maybe in a time of need, that God used that invite. And so uh, all of our efforts and all of the work that you guys put in the last couple days is worth it year after year. And so uh, a quick recap of Fall Fest. I don't know how they turned this around so quickly, but we're going to show just a brief recap. Let's watch. Give it up. All right, we're in a series called What If? And if you missed last week, it's really a foundational message for our church, so I encourage you to go back and listen to it. But we're gonna jump into this one this week. I prepared one message, and then about midweek, God said, no, I want you to shift gears and, and preach this message. And, you know, God redirects me from time to time, but normally he doesn't allow me to prepare a whole other message that I was really excited about, and we'll preach it someday, but this is, I believe this is for somebody because of that. And so, 1 Samuel chapter 17, verse 49, it says, and David put his hand in his bag and took out a stone and slung it and struck the Philistine on his forehead. The stone sank into, the, into his forehead and he fell on his face to the ground. I forgot it was family weekend when I prepared this message, so <laughs> you're welcome, parents. But um, here's, the, here's the what if today. What if giants are about to fall? A lot of us have things in our life, and it's okay to use illustrations from the Old Testament to, as pictures. Jesus used them all the time as, as illustrations for us to put into our life. And so the question is, you know, because all of us have things we'd consider giants in our life. We'd have, you know, things that seem insurmountable, seem bigger than us. What if we are on the edge of seeing those giants in our life about to fall? Now, what happens a lot of times is we, we see giants in our life and we get discouraged by giants because they're intimidating at times. But here's what I want. I just really want to encourage our faith today because I, I want to encourage us to, to remind ourselves of this, that giants should not intimidate us. Giants should actually inspire us. Why? Because there's always something good on the other side of a giant. 
And so if there's a giant in your life right now, you ought to be encouraged at some level because if there's a giant in your life, God has you positioned in such a way that if you walk things out with him, that giant will fall and there's always something better on the other side of a giant. And so if you're facing that today, I want you to be encouraged, not discouraged. And so David slung this stone at the giant. He defeated the giant, but there was something that David needed before he could do this. And it's found in the previous chapter. And it, you know, the little backstory, you know, the people of Israel, they wanted a king like all the other nations, and that really wasn't God's plan for them, but God relented and said, all right, you want a king, you, you can get a king. And so he talked to the prophet, and the prophet you know, is seeking out somebody to anoint as king, and it sees this guy named Saul, who literally stood head and shoulders above everyone else. He had king about him up and down. I mean, everything about Saul said king. He looked like a king, he acted like a king, he stood like a king, he was king material. And so on the outside, his resume he was a king, right? He had a great external resume. But as we'll see later on, he did some things that disqualified him from being able to be king. And so even though he had this great external res resume, God speaks to the prophet Samuel and he says, Saul's not my guy anymore. After he was king, he says, Saul's not my guy. And I want you to go find somebody. And so he went to go look for another king to anoint, kind of in secret. And so he goes through and he finds somebody who was not qualified on the externals. He, had, he didn't have a great external resume. He was uh, not first in line in his house. He wasn't, you know, the oldest. He wasn't the, the tallest or the strongest or whatever. And they didn't even think to bring him in to, to, for the tryouts. But then God says, no, this is the guy in, the, in 1 Samuel chapter 16, verse 13. Then Samuel took the horn of oil and anointed him in the midst of his brothers and watch this, the spirit of the Lord rushed upon David from that day forward, and Samuel rose up and went to Ramah. You see, David got anointed as king, or anointed for the job as king. He had this anointing by the prophet come on him. Then he was able to slay the giant. And so I, I want to talk about what, what's one of the most important things you can have if you want to follow God. One of the most important things you can actually have is this thing we're going to talk about today called the anointing. Now, the anointing is better than, it's, it's better than your resume. So here's what I want you to see. Saul had a great external resume as a king, but he, as it turns out, he had a horrible internal resume. His heart wasn't, wasn't good in the, on the inside. His internal resume wasn't great. David, on the other hand, had a horrible external resume. He didn't fit any of the marks, but he had a great internal resume. And I want you to see that when the anointing came on, both of these men, one with external, one with internal, both of them were able to do things they could not do in their own strength. They were able to do things they could not do before. So the anointing is greater than your resume, and that ought to get somebody excited today, right? Because somebody needs to hear this. You, if you're facing a giant, or you're facing a calling from God or a purpose that God has for your life, you, you don't have to be qualified. All you need to be is anointed. Some of us right now are holding back because we are looking at our resume and we think, I'm not qualified to do what I feel like God is asking me to do. You don't have to be qualified. All you have to be is anointed. God will take care of the qualification when he empowers you with his anointing. And so 
What, what is this anointing? Well, growing up, I kind of grew up in charismatic Pentecostal type churches. We'd hear this word anointing all the time. Like, you know, that message was really anointed or that person is really anointed or that ministry is really anointed or that church. How many of you guys have ever heard that before, right? All right, so you know, you know what I'm saying. It's, it was mysterious. It's like, I knew it was good, but I didn't quite always know what it meant. I just knew it was good and it was something from God. So what does it mean? I'm gonna to try to take a stab at what it means. So to do that, we gotta get a run up at it. So in ancient times, like in Israel's history, Whenever someone was appointed by God to do something, what would happen is a prophet or a priest would come, just like Samuel, and anoint that person. They would literally take a horn filled with oil and they would pour it over the top of their head and it would represent the power or the, the strength of God, the appointment of God, the power of, literally of the Holy Spirit coming upon them for what God was calling them to do. And so throughout history, whether it was you know, through kings or prophets or even priests, they were anointed and appointed for God's purposes and it was done physically by this anointing or pouring out of oil on their head. All the way till we get down to Jesus Christ. Do you guys know that Christ is not Jesus' last name? It's not like, well, there's the family of Christ. No, it, it was, Christ is actually a title. And can you guess what the title means? It means anointed one. Why does it mean that? Because Jesus was also anointed. Now, most of us don't catch this, but, but Jesus was actually anointed in Acts chapter 10, verse 38. It's a, and it's really interesting, too, as we'll get into this, how God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and with power. And then he went about doing good and healing all who were oppressed by the devil, for God was with him. So whenever somebody would anoint somebody, you, you always had to be anointed by somebody who had more anointing than you did or greater strength than you did. And so when it came you know, to David, well, Samuel had to anoint him because David didn't have anything. But Samuel had the anointing. He had the call of God. But who's going to anoint God in the flesh? Who's going to anoint Jesus? I mean, who's greater than that? And so what happens is, as you read this scripture carefully, look back at it, it says, God anointed Jesus, who's God in the flesh, with what? The Holy Spirit, who is also God. God. God anointed himself with the only thing of equal or greater value that he could find. He anointed himself with himself. That's all he could do. And, but here's what's interesting. After God anoints himself with himself, the implication is that now Jesus, God in the flesh, could do things after the anointing that he couldn't do before the anointing. And that is very, very interesting. Luke chapter four, verse 18, we looked at this last week, Jesus' mission statement, Jesus says this, the spirit of the Lord is upon me because what? Because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor, he sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives, recovering of sight to the blind, and to set at liberty those who are oppressed. So in this anointing, it's evident that God's power and God's presence is residence or, or residing in the anointing so that when this was on somebody or in somebody, they could now do things that they couldn't do otherwise. Why? And I'm going to give you a definition. Here's my definition of the anointing. The anointing is simply the power of the Holy Spirit to do what God has assigned you to do. 
And how many of you guys know that if you have the power of the Holy Spirit to do what God has assigned you to do, that, that's bigger than your resume. That's better than your resume. That, that means you can do more than what you can do on your own. And here's what's interesting. God has given us, that's, you know that anointing that God anointed himself with himself? That's, we don't get a lesser anointing than that. God actually anoints us with the same thing that he anointed himself with. And that's found in 2 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 21. It says, and it is God who establishes us with you in Christ and has anointed us and who's also put his seal on us and given us his spirit in our hearts as a guarantee. And so this anointing that we're talking about, God places that on us as believers so that we can have the power to do the assignments that God has called us to do. And so I want every one of us to just picture in our mind right now, just picture this, and maybe you can just picture it kind of old school, like Samuel, a prophet, coming with an anointing uh, horn of oil and just pouring that anointing oil all over your head right now. Because every one of us have been anointed. Every one of us can be anointed by God to receive the power of God to do what he's called us to do. Isn't that amazing that you have that? Now, you might be asking, that's great, Pastor Sean, but why don't I feel the anointing on my life? Why, why don't I feel like I have it? Have you guys ever been there before, right? Why don't I feel like I have it? If this anointing is so great and God gives me the same thing, the same power, why, why am I not walking in that? Let me give you three things to wrestle with today as to why you may not be feeling the anointing. I've got a couple video illustrations that I'll show you, but let me make this point first. Point number one is this. You may not be feeling the anointing because you may not be putting a demand on the anointing. All right, to help us give a, a picture of this, let's watch. All right, so a couple months ago, Beck and I went on this trip out to Colorado. We wanted to take this truck, which I've got all set up with some good uh, trail tires and a rooftop tent folds out and everything. And it's designed to be able to go into hard places where it's not easy to get to. So we took them off onto these old forest roads up in Colorado where there's like a side of a cliff drop off just wide enough for the truck to get on. I mean, like straight up and down. It was like world's worst roads type scenario, but it was awesome. We found an epic spot. We climbed up in there. It was awesome. But I used to be in these Facebook groups where there was these truck enthusiasts that would do all these modifications to the truck. I mean, they would put big tires on their trucks. They'd put a lift on their truck. They'd do all these crazy mods, spend all this money just so they can go to Lowe's and buy a can of paint. They'd never get out there and do anything with it. And it's kind of like the anointing. Some of us aren't experiencing the anointing because we're never putting it to the test. It's like years ago uh, when we were first married, I was in my 20s. I wanted to get a a Ford Mustang. So I went to the dealership and I was going to spend money that I didn't have because uh, I wanted to look cool and to get this vehicle. And so I was test driving them in. And one of the vehicles they had there on the lot was like a V8 Ford Mustang, like supercharged, whatever it was. And for whatever reason, they let me just take it out by myself 
And so I wanted to see what it would do. And so I put the pedal to the metal and I went from like going, barely going to like a hundred miles an hour in just like a few seconds. And I went back to the dealership. I took it back. I said, please take these keys from me because if you don't take these keys from me, I'm going to end up in jail because this is too much fun. But I had to actually put the pedal down to see what it was capable of. And a lot of us, we aren't experiencing the anointing or the power of the Holy Spirit in our life because we're never putting it to the test. And so you will never be able to experience what God has for you, the power that God wants you to walk in if we never put it to the test. So some of us aren't experiencing the anointing because we never put a demand on the anointing. If you're just a spiritual mall crawler and that's, that's all it is, you, you know, the, here's the thing about the anointing. Availability doesn't equal accessing. Just because the anointing is available to you doesn't mean you're actually accessing it. Just because the door is unlocked does not mean you've actually opened the door and walked through it. See, some of us don't feel the anointing in our life because we're never in situations that require the anointing to happen in our life. You know, uh, with anointing comes assignment, and with assignment comes ability. Some of us want to have the ability before we get the assignment and then hope for the anointing. No, God gives us assignment and anointing packaged together, and he's waiting for us to step out. And some of us have assignment and anointing, but we have not stepped out. We've never put the pedal down to see what would happen, and we've never put a demand on the anointing in our life uh, with, with, because we have an assignment that's attached to that. And so some of us don't feel the anointing. And you're saying, why don't I feel the anointing? And here's why. The anointing is not there for you to feel something. The anointing is there for you to do something. And if we never do something, we'll never experience the anointing. I would say it this way. If you're not serving God in some way, you don't even need the anointing. You don't even need it. Stop seeking it. You don't need it. If you're never planning on stepping out and, and stepping out in, by faith into the unknown and using it, if you're not serving God in some capacity, you don't even need the anointing. How can the Holy Spirit help us in our weakness if we're always managing our situations down to fit our own strength? How, how can we ever walk by faith if we're only allowing ourselves to be put in positions of sight. You see, some of us aren't feeling the anointing because we never put a demand on the anointing. We're just, we've got the lift on the truck, the big tires, and we're going to Lowe's every weekend, but we never get out into the mountains. We never go see what it'll actually do. And so I want to inspire you because if you're facing a giant, you got two options. One is to be like the Israelite army and just to hold back and hope. And the other is to be like David and get out there with a sling and a stone and see what happens. You, you got two options. All right, so number two is this. The reason you might not feel the anointing is you may be trying to live outside of your anointing. Because you realize that the anointing is greater than your resume. The anointing is greater than anything that you need. I, I really believe that the power of the Holy Spirit is greater than anything you need. The anointing is greater than anything, but just because the anointing is greater than anything, it does not mean that anything you do is anointed. Just because you can follow Jesus and just because you see something good that you like to do or you see something cool or maybe it would be helpful, 
It doesn't mean anything you do is now anointed just because you're following Jesus. You know, God gives us certain anointings. Why? Because there's a certain assignment attached to the anointing. So go back to King Saul. How did he lose, the, how did he lose being a king? How did he mess that up? Well, the very first uh, time we see this is in 1 Samuel chapter 13. Remember, Samuel's like a, a prophet priest, right? So he can, he, he can do certain things. He's got to do certain things. He's in charge of certain things. He's allowed to do certain things. Saul's king. The, I'm not going to get into the whole backstory, but, but uh, Saul and the people of Israel had been in a battle. They won some, but now they're kind of terrified and they're waiting uh, in this moment for Samuel to come. And they're going to offer a sacrifice unto God. But watch this in 1 Samuel chapter 13, verse 8. It says, he, that's Saul, he waited seven days, the time that was appointed by Samuel, but Samuel did not come. And the people were starting to get nervous and starting to scatter. And so Saul gets nervous and he's like, oh, well, bring the burnt offering to me. I'll sacrifice it. We're not going to wait for Samuel. Let's bring it to me. And he goes and he offers the burnt offering. Listen, he was not authorized to do this. This was Samuel's anointing to offer the sacrifice. Saul, uh, uh, he stepped out of line and he did something he was not supposed to do. And so he offers a sacrifice. And then uh, it says, as soon as he had finished offering the burnt offering, behold, Samuel came. Awkward moments, right? And Saul went out to greet him and Samuel said, what have you done? And Saul said, when, when I saw the people were scattering and that you didn't come within the days appointed and the Philistines were mustered and all these excuses. Watch this in verse 12. He says, I have not sought, I, he said, I've not sought the favor of the Lord. And so I forced myself and offered the burnt offering. He forced himself outside of his anointing into Samuel's anointing to offer the burnt offering. And Samuel said to Saul, you have done foolishly. You have not kept the command of the Lord your God, which he commanded you. Because if you would have, the kingdom would have ran through your family line, but now it's taken from you. See, in this moment, Saul stepped outside of the assignment and the anointing, and he stepped, tried to step into somebody else's assignment and other, and by force, and because of that, he lost the kingdom. We could say it this way. That Saul, Saul promoted himself beyond his anointing. See, some of us aren't feeling the anointing right now in our life because we're trying to live in someone else's. We're trying to live in someone else's. We're trying to promote ourselves beyond our own anointing. And just because Saul was king does not mean anything, he could do anything he wanted. He had a certain assignment. Even though he was king, he still had a certain lane he had to run in. And he lost God's favor in that moment. So don't covet someone else's anointing. Don't, you, you need your own. There's this principle, this business principle, I think somebody wrote a book about a long time ago. I've, I've never read it. I just heard the principle. And the principle is this. It's kind of uh, a little exaggerated, but the principle is that every person is eventually promoted to the level of his or her incompetence, either because of vacancy or ambition. So here's how it works. Let's just picture a, an office setting with a bunch of cubicles, right? And everybody's doing their work in cubicle land, right? And there happens to be, let's just say you are the best cubicle person out of all of them. I mean, you just, you just tear it up. Whatever cubicle 
people do. That's what you're doing, and you're just knocking it out of the park, man. I mean, you're just cubicle person, you're a gold star, and, and then there's a vacancy to manage all of the cubicles. And so what do the people do? They look and they try to find, well, we're looking for a manager over the cubicle people. Let's find the best cubicle person we can find. And so they promote you into the vacancy because you're the best cubicle person in the world. But if you don't have, if you're not a great manager, all of a sudden you've been promoted into incompetence even though you are a great cubicle person. Or maybe you're the best cubicle person and you're tired of, you know, not being in charge of people. You want to make some more money. And so because of ambition, you promote yourself. You seek after a job that you were never designed to do. And you promote yourself into a position of incompetence. How many of you guys know that person or work for that person? Uh, okay. But this can happen spiritually as well. It can happen like, I mean, we're kind of in the church planning movement uh, in the last couple decades. And so there's like a constant push to crank out new churches all the time. And so what happens is, and I've seen this just up, I've seen it all over the place, just in church planning movements. We're in a church planning network. We're, we're a part of that and I've watched it. I've studied it. And what, what I've seen is you get people who were like, man, that's a great preacher. That person's a great preacher. They would come in, they'd preach and all this stuff. And then it's like, we need more churches. Well, he's a great preacher. Let's put him as a pastor. Just because you're a great preacher doesn't mean you're a great pastor, right? Same thing with worship. What happens? We get somebody who's a great musician. They're a great singer. They may even write great songs. But then there's a vacancy, or maybe they want out of their ambition to become a worship pastor. And then because of that, they were a great musician, they were a great singer, but they're not great at leading people into worship. And it, you can fill in any scenario you want, and the, the chance, it's, the, it's possible that that can happen. So what am I saying with all that? I'm saying we have to be careful because one of the things that is the easiest trap for us to fall in is to promote ourselves into a position or a place or an anointing or an assignment that God never designed for us to be in. 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 15 to 16 says, If the foot should say, because I'm not a hand, I do not belong to the body. It's talking about the body of Christ. You know, that picture, that, that allegory. It says, if the foot should say, I'm, I'm not a hand, so I don't belong. Well, that wouldn't make it any less part of the body. Or if the ear should say, because I'm not an eye, I, I don't belong to the body. Well, that wouldn't make it any less part of the body. What's it saying? If you're a hand, be a hand. <laughs> if you're an eye, be the best eyeball you can be. If you're the big toe, bring, bring stability in your life. I don't, I don't know what it is, man. Whatever it is. But don't despise the role that God has put you in. So the question is, will we accept our anointing or will we try to live in someone else's anointing? And some of us are feeling the strain of that. Now, some of us are like, well, okay, so if any pain I feel, does that mean I'm outside of my anointing? Not necessarily. Because how many of you guys know there are seasons in our life where God will stretch us, right? And there's pain in the stretching, right? There's discomfort. But there's a difference between God stretching you and us forcing God, like Saul did. And if we're honest, most of us know the difference. Most of us know the pain of God stretching us, and we know when we're forcing God. 
So we have to be very sensitive because the temptation is this. We think there's only one way to live out a calling or there's only one way to follow God. You know, what if this would have happened throughout the ages? You know, the Bible talks about a guy named Enoch. How you guys know about Enoch? The Bible says Enoch was so close with God that he walked with God until eventually God just took him. How would you guys like to, I mean, if you're gonna go, you might as well go that way, right? I mean, God just was like, here you go. Let's, let's just come on up, you know? And so what if Noah came along and he's like, man, the guy who followed God with the most intensity and the best way I've ever seen was that guy named Enoch. And so if I wanna follow God to the best that I can, I gotta start walking with God so much until God just takes me. And then God comes to Noah and he's like, Noah, I don't need you to walk with me in that way. I need you to build a boat. And it's gonna take you 100 years to do it, so you're gonna be here a while. He's like, but I thought that's how you follow God. And he says, no, I need you to build a boat. And then what if Abraham came along and he's like, well, I know how to follow. I mean, Noah was the most righteous out of anybody, right? And so if I want to be the most righteous, then I, got, I better start a boat building business. I mean, Noah built the best boat uh, I mean, in history. And so I, if I want to follow God, I've, I've got a lot to measure up to, but I better start building a boat. And God's like, no, Abraham, I don't need you to build a boat. I need you to take a hike into a place that you don't even know where you're going. And along the way, you're going to get wealthy and you're going to have a lot of, you know, a lot of responsibility, but that's what I need you to do. And then what if Moses came along and he's like, well, Abraham, he's the father of faith. I mean, my goodness, if I want to walk with God, surely I just need to do what Abraham did. And I need to get a bunch of, you know, servants and create an army and do all this stuff. And God says, Moses, no, 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 no. I, I need you to go out by yourself into the wilderness with just a bunch of sheep for 40 years. Do you guys see what I'm saying here? See, we have to figure out where God is placing us because there's an assignment attached to every anointing and we have to understand that we better get in our anointing. God won't promote us into incompetence. God gives us our grace lane to run in. Isaiah chapter 10, verse 27 says, the anointing breaks the yoke. So if you're feeling a yoke right now, there's a big chance that you might be trying to live outside of your anointing. And so here's the second illustration that might help us understand this. Let's take a look. All right, how many of you guys have ever used a tiller before? Or maybe I should ask it this way. How many of you guys have ever used a front tine tiller where these things are in front? If you have, you know that it's still work, even though those things are working. I mean, it's work. I, when we first had the garden, I, I borrowed a front tine tiller, man, and I'm just working at it. I'm, I'm just pushing this thing. But then I borrowed a rear tine tiller, and this thing just eats through the ground. If you do it right, if you grab the handle, and it's, it's got a power to it, it will just, I mean, you can literally walk right beside it a lot of times, and it'll just eat through the ground. Well, one day I was out here uh, working in the garden and, you know, it's going pretty good and stuff. But for whatever reason, even though it'll eat through the ground, that's not fast enough for me sometimes. How many of you guys know what I'm talking about? So I'm like going behind this thing. And even though it's powered, I'm like pushing this thing to try to get 
get the job done faster and I'm working and I'm sweating and it's hard and it keeps getting harder and harder and man, I'm sweating and all of a sudden my back is hurting and stuff and for whatever reason, I, I mean, I'm like at extreme pain and finally I realized what happened. One of these bolts on the handle here came loose and for whatever reason, I just didn't notice it. The handle was almost on the ground and I'm like pushing this thing and so finally I realized what happened. I realized that it's broken but how many of you guys have ever been in this place before where you, you, you find out that something's broken but you're looking at all the work you have to do and you're like, I'm just gonna push through it, right? And so I'm like, even though the handle's on the ground almost, I'm looking at the work to be done and I'm just pushing through it, and I'm pushing through it, and the only indicator that there was a problem was that I had extreme pain until finally it ran out of fuel and I was forced to fix the problem. And I use that illustration because so many times that's a perfect picture of what it's like for many of us when we're trying to work outside of our anointing. It's like little by little we begin to operate in our own strength and we don't even realize it. And the only indicator is pain. And so what happens is, you know, when you're in the anointing, it's not like there's not work to be done, but when you're in the anointing, it should be to some degree that the wind of God is kind of at your back, that you're not swimming upstream, but you're empowered by the Holy Spirit. And so what happens is so many of us, we, we start to little by little begin to operate in our own strength until the only indicator is pain. But so many of us, when we get into that point, we, we just look at the work to be done and we say, well, I'm just going to push through it. And so we push through it in our own strength until eventually somebody runs out of fuel and then we're forced to fix it. That's not God's best. That's not God's design. And so for, for many of us, what we need to realize is if we discover that we're working outside of our anointing, we can choose whether we're going to work with God or whether we're going to work in our own strength. And it's a whole lot better when things are running smoothly and you're working inside your anointing. How many of you guys have ever been there before, right? And you recognize it, but you're just like, I'm just going to push through it anyway, right? And so we may be living outside of our anointing. The last thing is this. The reason you might not feel the anointing right now or maybe experience it in its fullness. Number three, you may be living on yesterday's anointing. It could be said that Saul had the crown but lost the anointing. He was still king. From this moment, you know, when the sacrifice happened, he wasn't supposed to do the sacrifice, and God's favor, you know, took it off of him. Do you realize that even after that moment, even after Samuel had already anointed David as king, even after that exchange had already, the shift had already happened in the spirit, do you realize that Saul could still prophesy? Do you know that after God's mantle was removed off of Saul, so to speak, do you realize he was still king for decades? Why? Because yesterday's anointing can at times carry a momentum into today and allow us with gifts and all sorts of things to be able to be used in such a way that it seems disguised as if the anointing is still with us. And we may be living off of yesterday's anointing. You guys remember the story of Mary and Joseph 
in the Bible, when Jesus was just a boy, he was 12 years old, they, they're going to this feast, and they're going to this big group of people, right? And, and as they're going to the feast, they get ready to take off and to go back home. And since they're traveling in a big crowd, it's kind of, you know, you know, everybody's kind of in a big crowd. They get out a few days, and they start to wonder, well, did we actually bring Jesus? And Luke chapter 2, verse 43, it says, and when the feast ended, and as they were returning, the, the boy Jesus stayed behind in Jerusalem. But his parents did not know. How many of you guys have ever lost a kid before? Anybody ever lost a kid? No one wants to raise their hand. All right, I wouldn't just see how many people have lost a kid. No, hold up. Come on, let's own it. I ha- you know, look at how many people have lost children. How many of you guys, I was amazed by that last night as well. How many of you guys actually found the kid again? Anybody ever find, good, I'm so happy that makes us feel so much better now, right? Well, can you imagine being Joseph and Mary and they lost the creator of the universe? <laughs> so don't feel so bad. They, they lost the God of all creation. And, but supposing him to be in the group, they went a day's journey and they began to search for him among the relatives. They're like, oh, where's Jesus? And when they did not find him, they returned to Jerusalem searching for him. And after three days, they found him in the temple, sitting among the teachers, listening to them and asking them questions. What happens is they went three days assuming the anointing, anointed one was still with them. It felt like he was with them. They thought he was with them. They assumed. Now, fortunately for them, they stopped to ask, is he? So here's the question. How many days have we gone assuming the anointing is still with us? How many weeks? How how many possible years have we gone just assuming the anointing is still with us? Or are we living off the fumes of yesterday? Are we living off the anointing and assignment that God gave us four, five, ten years ago? And we're just still carrying in that anointing, and we've never stopped to ask the question, is he still with us? Is he still in this? Is he still, is this still my anointing and my assignment? How many days have we gone? You guys have heard that, that poem, like the footprints in the, the sand poem, where there's like two sets of footprints in the sand, and like one of them's me and one of them's Jesus. I don't even, I haven't read the poem forever, so uh, bear with me. To, you know, two footprints in the sand, one is Jesus, one is me. We're walking along the sand. Then there's only one set of footprints And so then you ask, okay, well, Jesus, why is there only one set of footprints? He's like, well, that's when I was carrying you, right? Did I get it right? I just, okay. So I had this vision one time of that scene. And I'm like looking at it. I'm like, oh, it's the footprints in the sand thing. There's the two footprints. There's my footprints and Jesus. And we're walking along. Then there's only one set of footprints. And so I was like, Jesus, I I guess that's when you were carrying me. He's like, no, that's when you kept walking without me. And he was right, because I had, and I hadn't stopped to ask if he was still with me. So how long have we gone living off of yesterday's anointing? There was somebody who was making a comment on the church in America, and they said this, if the Holy Spirit were completely, were taken completely from the church in America, 90% of the work of the church would go right on as if nothing had happened. Now, before we get too smug about, oh, the church is this and the church is that, let's personalize it. 
If the Holy Spirit were taken from our lives, what percent of our life would go right on as if nothing had happened? We need the Holy Spirit. We need the empowerment of God. We need the anointing of God on our life. Yesterday's anointing has a momentum that can fool us if we're not careful. So what's the solution? The solution is, it, it's go back to the source. It's to go back to, to the, I would say it this way, live out of the well rather than the pool. You know, John chapter 7, verse 37 through 39 says this, On the last day of the feast, the great day, Jesus stood up and cried out. He said, If anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as the scripture has said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. Now this he said about the Spirit, whom those who believed in him were to receive, for as yet the Spirit had not, yet, had not been given because Jesus was not yet glorified or ascended into heaven. So here's the backstory. There's a great feast that lasted seven days. Some people debate it, say maybe it was eight days. But what, what would happen every day of the feast, early in the morning, a priest would grab a golden pitcher and they would go down to the pool of Siloam and they would dip water out of the pool and they would ascend up the steps of the temple. And as they were going, they would sing psalms of praise. And once they got up to the top, they would pour out the water that was in the pitcher as a, a symbolic picture of the Holy Spirit or the appointment of God. Uh, there were several things layered in there, but that was one of the main ones. And so Jesus, imagine this picture. So every day, you know, the pitcher would empty and they'd have to go back down the next day and they'd bring it up again for the next day. And then on the great day, Jesus interrupts it all. And he's like, guys, this is, you don't have to do this anymore. You see the pool of Siloam, when you get that water and you carry that pitcher up and you pour it out, the pitcher's now empty. But if you come to me, there's gonna be a source that never runs dry. You see, what happens for most of us is, is life starts to happen. We're like those priests. We get the, we get the picture. We start carrying it up there, and, and life is good. Man, we're in a real life group or something, and we're encouraged. But then by the time we get up to the top of the temple, something bad has happened in our life, and the picture's poured out, and, and, and the picture's run dry. So we got to go back down, right? And then we like, oh, man, okay, so somebody gave me a word from God, or I got a new pay increase at my job, and we get the, we get the pitcher, and we're, man, we're singing. But then we get to the top, and we need to pour that out, and then the pitcher's dry again. And Jesus is saying, you, you can get to a place, go back to the source. There, there's, if you live off-grid or something like that, you may have like a, a water container that you have to keep filled up. Maybe the rain fills it up, and, and uh, maybe to water your garden or whatever it is. But what happens if there's a famine or there's a drought? But if you find a place, I've been watching these shows on homesteading and stuff, if you find a place where you can actually get into a source of water, if you can dig maybe a, a freshwater spring or a well, how do you guys know? It doesn't matter what's happening on the surface because you're connected to the source. And you got a source that doesn't run dry. It's not, it's not dependent upon whether there's a famine up top. It's not dependent on whether the circumstances are all aligned. But when you're plugged into the source, you can have a source of living water and the well won't run dry. So the question is, how do we know what our source is now? If you're wondering, am I connected to the source? And here's the, the wonderful and troubling news. <laughs> the wonderful news is we can know. The troubling news is we can know. But your source is this. How do you know your source? 
whatever's coming out of you. Whatever's currently coming out of us. Because the Bible says, out of the abundance of our heart, the mouth speaks. The Bible says you will know them by their fruit. So you know your source by what's coming out. So we have to come and plug back into the source. If anxiety is all coming out, well, I know where your source is. It ain't Jesus. That's not condemnation. That's revelation. I'm not going to make something complicated that God made simple. And it's just simply, let's stay plugged into the source. When you, when you see stuff coming out of you that's not godly, go to the source. When you see that you're living off yesterday's anointing, go to the source. When you see that you're living outside of your anointing, go to the source. When you see that you need help beyond your ability, go to the source. Don't go to anything else. So as the worship team comes back up, we're going to wrap this up. But if you want to change the fruit of your life, you have to change the root of your life. That's very, very simple. I love what Martin Luther says in his journal. He wrote in his journal one day. So get this. He writes in his journal, he says this, he says, I have a very busy day today, so I must spend not two hours in prayer, but three hours in prayer. He understood something, something like two hours in prayer, I get two minutes, you know? He understood this, if I have a very complex situation ahead of me, I need more time with the source rather than less. He understood this, that if I've got a very busy day where I need to make a lot of decisions that are going to affect a lot of people's lives or whatever it was, I better get plugged, I better make time for what's most important because it's out of that, that root is going to give me the fruit. And so I know that this is for somebody today, God redirected me. It's not just church leaders who need anointing. It's not just church services that need anointing. It's not just preachers or messages, but it's every single one of us, we need this anointing. Because the anointing is simply the power of God to do what he's called you to do and assigned you to do. And here's, here's the truth of the matter. The only time you are weak is when you're trying to operate in your own strength. Because when we allow God's strength to operate in us, you know, the, the Bible says that, you know, that when we are weak, he is strong. So many times people read that scripture and they say, oh, I just, when, I just need to be weak. That's not the, the end game of the scripture is strength, not weakness. So when that scripture says in your weakness, he is made strong. The implication is that you are no longer weak when he's done with you. You're just strong in his strength now, not your own. See, the empowerment of the Holy Spirit is there to strengthen you to do something you cannot do on your own. And we all need that. We need to get back to the source, many of us. So would you stand up with me? Can we just believe even just for right now that maybe even in this moment we can connect back to the source. We say, God, I wanna be plugged into that, that river that never runs dry. Come on, right now, maybe it's a good time for the Holy Spirit to work with you and evaluate in your heart. Am I putting a demand on the anointing or am I just a mall crawler, you know, just going to Lowe's with my lift and the big tires? Am I trying to live outside of my anointing or am I in the lane fully present, fully joyful where God has placed me? Am I living on yesterday's anointing, just assuming that the anointing is with me, but I've walked on without you? This is a great time 
God, that we can come to you and we can just repent. Repent simply means change our heart, change our mind. There's freedom in repentance today. Lord, we, we want to come and draw closer to you, draw near to the source. In Jesus' name, amen.